Hello, how the tech are you? I'm going to make an executive decision and assume we're all doing tech and great. Hooray. Yes. Yay. Yeah, that, that bit would have got real tired real fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's probably still getting tired, but at least a little bit different. Uh, this is our weekly tech show on Echoplex Media. We talk about tech stuff, sometimes news, sometimes whatever we feel like talking about. I think uh, this week we're doing a lot of whatever we feel like talking about, but it should be fun. So what am I talking about? I'm historian Matt, and I am talking about China warns of a rogue state hackers. So a certain rogue state is sending out hackers. We'll have to hear about that. And then in my second section, we're doing part two of Learn to Lisp, and I'm calling it Electric Function Boogaloo. (laughs) So guy with the pink mic. I am HK Perrin, and I am a software developer, so I cover mostly software development news. Uh, And this week, I've got three stories. First one is GitLab 15 was released. Second one is Alpine Linux 3.16 was released. And the third one is TypeScript 4.7. I have an update to that one. The the stable version was released. Uh, A few weeks ago, the beta came out. The full stable TypeScript 4.7 just came out. So I'll be talking about that this week. Over to Dave. Uh, This week, uh, I'm Dave. I'm a content creator. I use open source to create content. You might see some of that content. And uh, you could check out some of the other content by searching for Echoplex Media. Uh, But you don't have to do it. This week, I'm going to talk about something that everybody was really mad about on all the mailing lists that I am on for Linux. (laughs) And over to Matt. All right. I will get started with uh, my first topic. So China warns of rogue state hackers. What state is that? The United States. Go figure. Uh, So obviously this is, you know, the United States has been hacking other countries for a long time. Uh, China is notorious for their hackers as well. And basically what's happening, if you've been hearing about this recently, is China's and China's foreign ministry and cybersecurity firms have been calling out the U.S. a little bit more recently. It's probably sort of a a clap back since the U.S. has been calling out China's hackers over the years. um, But, like, really, are you surprised that the United States is hacking other countries? Either of you surprised? No. No. No, not at all. Uh, like every country hacks other countries. Yeah. It sucks, but it happens. It's just espionage. It's like, it's like, why are you spying on me? And it's like, well, how did you find out that we were spying on you? Well, we were spying on you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, yeah. So the weird thing about this, what's been going around recently is the allegations include, include like pretty old technical details. A lot of the exploits that they they brought up were publicly known exploits. So, like some of the stuff they're complaining about is like probably years old now, right? And nobody's entirely sure why they're doing it, but it sounds like it's probably because they don't want to actually reveal any exploits that they're using, you know? So, uh, there's no actual like technical info in, in their releases. Well, not for nothing. A lot of times, if you reveal what you found out that someone else is doing, somebody can reverse engineer that to figure out what you did to find out what they were doing. 
So right. yeah, that going too. going yeah. back a few yeah. years makes it like yeah. irrelevant, like what they were doing or how they found out about it because it happened five years ago or whatever. So this is all the all Spider Man meme again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's all I have for that one. There's not really a whole lot, and I didn't see like much other news that I wanted to cover anyways, and I thought this one was funny because it was, you know, China calling, they didn't really call the U.S. a rogue state, but it, it was, they kind of did. It was it was pretty funny. Um, so moving on, unless anybody has any final comments, I want to move on to the next part. Doesn't sound like it. Okay. So part two of my learn to lisp and basically uh, trying to teach Hunter like a real programming language. <laughs> We're going to be covering functions. I'm calling this one electric function boogaloo because you always got to call part two electric boogaloo something, right? I don't know where, I don't remember where that started, but that's a thing. Uh, so, but before we like really get into it, I want to talk a little bit. I'm doing a switch to closure. So before I was using common lisp and I've been having a little trouble finding all the info I need for, for common lisp and going over these, these things, I'm pretty sure common lisp covers and supports a lot of these things, but I am much more familiar with closure. I've been working with it for a long time and closure is a lisp variant that runs on the JVM. So dialect of lisp. It looks. It does a lot of stuff like Lisp. Um, there are some small differences. Uh, another nice thing about Closure is there's a Closure. There's Closure Script, which is another version of Closure, but that one actually runs. It kind of it targets JavaScript, so that like it gets compiled to JavaScript, and you can run it in a browser. And there's some niceties of having both of those. Uh, oftentimes, people when doing a, a web app, they'll use both of them at the same time. Uh, I am using, I'm looking into using closure script for another little project that I'm working on that hopefully we'll hear about more later. Any questions? Uh, I have a, an interesting tidbit, you know, you mentioned yeah. JavaScript and Brendan Ike, the guy who invented JavaScript. Yeah. Uh, he was actually originally hired on to implement scheme in the browser. Wow. Which is a variant of Lisp. So yeah. originally browsers were very close to running Lisp instead of JavaScript. Yeah. Uh, and they, the management essentially decided that instead of implementing scheme, they would task Brendan with, uh, with coming up with his own language. Okay. Yeah. That seems kind of strange. And, uh, they came up with JavaScript, which I feel like is kind of a weird language, but the language itself is okay. It's, I think it's a lot of the other stuff that comes with it. Anyways, uh, so I want, first thing I want to do is, is cover some stuff that I missed on the previous part uh, related to Lisp and talk a little bit about, well, at least one difference Clojure has from Lisp because that's going to come up uh, in this this section. So the first thing is I forgot to actually mention a list literal. So if you want to make a list in Lisp and use it as a list, right? You have to do something. And in, in this case, you can make it a literal by putting like a single quote in front of it. And that just says, don't actually like you make it, you know, you're always making a list in Lisp. 
But if you don't put the single quote in front of it, it tries to evaluate it as a function. In this case, I have the the list. It's it's tick and then um, or quote and then open parentheses one two three and close parentheses. Um, if I didn't have the the single quote in front of it, it would try to use the number one as a function and then freak out and fail. So that's one way you can do a literal list. Uh, in this case, it, you know, if you put the single quote, it just makes a, a list. But that I think that they have another way to use an actual list function. But I, I think they did that because it's really easy to miss that single quote. So instead, you can actually there's an actual function called list l i s t that then you can just pass the items of the list as parameters. Uh, so in this case, I have one two three. So people who are watching the video can see what, what I have on the screen, but I just have basically a function call and Lisp with the function list and the parameters one, two, and three. And that will return, I didn't put the return here, but that will return a list that includes the values one, two, and three. And then you can do list processing in it, which I'll talk a little bit about, I think in this one, but I think part three, I'm going to do like a, real, a much deeper dive into doing all the list processing and all the fun stuff with lists um, that actually make uh, Lisp a, a nice language to use. But in Clojure, we also have another thing you can use, which is called a vector. And this is kind of like something that, that makes Clojure look a lot different from other Lisps in, in a lot of ways. So instead of making a list using parentheses, a vector is is very similar to Lisp, but you create it with square brackets so you have like the in this case you i have the open square bracket one two and three and then the, the closed square bracket and that makes a vector what's the difference between a list and a vector uh i don't want to go into all the the low level, level details but you can kind of think of a list as well basically a link list uh and if i went into deeper it's actually uh in many cases a singly linked list and the reasons for that. But a vector is more like an array. Uh, it is immutable. I haven't gone over that sort of stuff yet, but um, both lists and vectors are immutable. And But internally, they work. The, the vector works kind of like an array, which gives you basically gives you access that you don't have at a list. Any questions? So like in a vector, uh, each element has a certain amount of memory. Uh, well in a vector, um, I don't know all the details. Usually it's, so it's, it's like a it, closure runs on Java. So this is probably an array of object pointers. Um, okay. so it wouldn't be actual, like it would be the pointers, not the actual objects in this array. Okay, um, so you could it's a little bit weird because things that are different sizes into the vector. Yeah. Okay. And you can put anything you 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 can put anything you want, just like a list. You can okay. put that into a vector. Uh, this becomes useful. There's certain things you can do that are that are interesting with mixing objects and, and vectors and stuff. Um, that I may go over later. I don't know if it'll end up in the list part or what. 
But I mean, the, one of the big things with a vector is you can actually index it pretty fast. So you can go to like the first item, the second or third or the hundredth item pretty quickly. But with a, with a list, you actually have to step through everything to get to the item. Um, that's one of the big ones. Anyways, but I wanted to make sure I mentioned vector before I move on to actually defining a function. Uh, so yeah, in closure, what we have up here is how we define a function. It's very similar to common lisp. I'll talk about that in just a second, but uh, for those who are listening in, basically what I, what we have is open parentheses, defn, D-E-F-N, which stands for define function. And then um, after that, I have this function is called add. So we have the symbol add, A-D-D, uh, followed by a vector X containing X, Y, X and Y are symbols or the parameters to the function. And then after that, I mean, there's some other stuff you can add to the beginning, but um, this is like the most simple type function, right? Uh, after the vector that holds the parameters, you have the actual body of the function. In this case, there's only one, there's one form basically, and it's a function call to the plus function. Um, and that, that plus function, I'm passing an X and Y to basically add X and Y together. And the result of that function call is of course, X and Y added together. And that's returned as the result of calling this function add. And then of course we have the ending close parentheses. The big difference between this function, which is a closure function and a lisp, a common lisp function is you don't have the vector, but instead that would just be another list. And I think otherwise it pretty much looks exactly the same. I think they even use defn. Um, any questions on this? I'm kind of like, I'm using this add function for, for fun, but the, the plus function really works exactly the same way, but I'm, I'm pretending for now that the plus function only has takes two arguments. Good. So let's uh, add a little bit to this. Um, so this one, I, I don't have centered nicely because I'm starting to add more code, but say you want to have multiple invoke methods. Basically you have different number of parameters you want to add to this add function because, well, this, I really simplified it. Um, maybe you just want to add one number to nothing, which doesn't make any sense, but for, uh, certain cases you may, it's like it can add, act as an identity function, maybe useful in the future where you don't know how many values you need. You kind of need to, to support the, the one parameter version or you can do two parameters. And basically how you do that is you encase the vector that you want, which is the number of parameters and the body for that particular set of parameters in parentheses. Just a second. <laughs> Quick cough. Um, so in this case, I have a one and two parameter versions. The uh, first one is after the the name add for the function. We have the open parentheses and then the open square bracket for the vector x close square bracket. And then the only thing we're going to do is return x and then end parentheses. And that is the first version, the single 
parameter version. And then the second one, which is two parameters, do open parentheses, open vector, or open square bracket, X and Y and close square bracket. So X and Y are the parameters. And then the body of that version of the function is the one we had before, which is uh, open parentheses, open parentheses plus X and Y close parentheses. Then we have another parentheses to close that uh, version of the method. And then we have another parentheses to close the overall function. So this is similar to polymorphism. Yes. So this is basically, you have different, different number of parameters you can call the same function. Yeah. So in, uh, in object oriented languages, polymorphism just means like you have different function signatures, uh, for different things that a function could take. So you might have yeah. something to add, uh, floating point numbers and something to add integers and you could have the same function just like you have here. Uh, but yeah. it accepts different, uh, different arguments. Right. In this case, it's different numbers of arguments, which you can also do with, uh, I think you can do that with polymorphism. Yep. Yeah. So the next one, we're going to add a little bit more to our add function. And the first two uh, versions of this function are the same, but I've added in the third version and more. So that's ampersand more. Uh, added to the uh, parameter vector. So the whole vector is X, Y, ampersand, and I have a space more. I think you can actually get rid of the space. I, I don't remember exactly. I, I did it with the space and it definitely worked when I ran it. And that's a whole ve vector. And I'm sure you can probably guess what and more does. Uh, okay. Is it, does it give you a vector of the rest of the arguments? Yeah, actually, I think it's okay. specifically a list, but okay. it'll collect all the rest of the arguments, which means you can just add as many arguments as you want to Yeah, so it's, this it's similar to what I would call a rest prop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but to use this, we have to do something a little bit different. Uh, I use the apply function, which is a function that takes a function as the first parameter, and then it'll take the rest of the parameters are will be applied as parameters to the, the function that you're you're passing in except for the last one which if the last parameter is a list it actually what's called destructures it basically and um and uses each item in the list as a parameter to the function that was given so in this case the apply function i'm giving the add function which is the function we're already in so we're actually calling ourselves and the first parameter i'm just adding the the first x and y together and making a new you know using that value and passing it to add and then i have more just sitting there because more is already a list so each item in the more list will be applied as parameters to the add function as well the following uh, parameters. So in the next invocation of this function, the sum of X and Y would be assigned to the X, uh, yes. the X argument. And then whatever the first element of more is would be assigned to the Y argument. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that's great. And I'm inter introducing a little recursion here, right? So the function is calling itself, but, um, 
So I want to go to the, the last version, and I've added a little uh, don't do this. I'm using It's actually a special form. It's not a function, um, but it, it looks exactly like a function. And it does some special stuff. So it's, it's called recur. And I'm doing this. This function does pretty much exactly the same as the previous function, but it adds a lot of extra stuff. Uh, I've added an if statement and... The reason I added that if statement is because the call to recur like screws up if I just throw in more and it has to do with the, the number of parameters not matching. So the first thing I do in this if statement is just check to see if more is empty. Uh, if it's empty, then I'm just working with X and Y. So it should be exactly the same as the other version of the function that just adds X and Y. And I could call that, but I decided to just straight call plus and, and just have it return X and Y. So the other part of the if statement, you notice there isn't a, there isn't a, a, a then kind of um, thing around it. It's just, there's two different basically function calls in, in the if statement. The first part is, there's actually three because you have the conditional and then you have what you do if it was the conditional was true and then the second one if it was false in this case i call recur if it's false and what it's doing is, is it's adding the x and y together and then calling the first function on more which returns the first item in more and the the next one is calling rest on more which returns all the items as a list of more excluding the first item first and rest those the combination of those two functions are used very often because you're basically like using the list as a um as a queue or, or a stack depending on how you're, how you're using it here and first is and is basically popping off the first item and rest is like getting the rest of the stack uh, or the rest of the of the list as a stack. It's like so shift you, in in uh, JavaScript. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. Except in JavaScript, shift mutates the the list, the array. Yeah. So, so the problem here, with you're you're never mutating the array, right? You're always just uh, yeah returning other copies of it. Yeah. So technically, this list more. Uh, is not getting changed. It's immutable. But first is just pulling out the first item, and that doesn't change more at all. Rest doesn't actually change more. Technically, it like makes it makes another version, right? Except that more is like a singly linked list, so and that's immutable, right? So all you do is you basically point to the second item in the list, and that's exactly the same. There's like you don't have to change anything. Right, you're yeah. not actually making any copy except where you're starting the the list from. So that's, that's really that's how that kind of works. Yeah, the if function looks a lot like ternary operators. Yes. Um, there's some tricks to it. Like you don't actually have to have the second version, so it would just be a you know straight if statement without a then then clause to it. Okay. Uh, you can't do, there's a different function if you want to do basically if else kind of thing to it, but I don't want to cover in this, but if you're wondering why I've, well, okay. First of all, recur, if you haven't figured it all, all figured out already, basically calls add the add function, um, 
from within itself. And the reason why I'm doing it here is something that is kind of unique to uh, functional programming. I don't know if you've ever heard some, seen something like this. Can you guess what's happening here? Um, in the recur call. Yeah. Uh, not really. Yeah. So it's at, it's calling add again. And I could have just like the way it's written, I could have just added add there as a function and that would make a recursive. But what happens if you call the same function within the function, right? It's recursive. That's fine. That's something that's supported. But one of the things that has, has to happen is it adds to your stack, right? When you recall a function and then when it like, when that other function returns, it kind of unwinds a stack as it goes up. And in this case, it's the very last thing that's happening in the function call. So you're kind of like building up the stack for no particular reason. I mean, as soon as it ends, right, you finish the recursive uh, part of it, it just returns everything, right? Yeah. So what recur does is it calls add, but doesn't actually add to the stack. Interesting. I, actually, it's making like a whole new function call in place without without adding the stack because you know that what comes out of recur is just going to be returned. And that is called tail recursion. And it's a way of basically making loops in a functional language using recursion without eating up your stack. Huh? Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've done, used a lot of other functional languages. They they're in a few other languages. It does this sort of thing. This is really cool. It looks nice. Uh, well, it doesn't look great because I had to do a bunch of extra stuff to get it to work. And that had to do with the parameters in recur had to exactly match the last version of the add function the way I had it set up. That's why there was a lot of extra stuff added and made it look ugly and had to add the if statement. But it does work. Generally speaking, you don't do that because you just don't have to do that. And I'll go over that in part two or part three. It's already up to part three when we'll be actually processing lists and vectors, but mostly lists. That's it. That was really cool. Cool. I have no Good. idea what I'm, you're I'm talking about, but HK, I have no idea about. what you're talking about, but HK sure seems to think it's cool. So I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully some of our, our listeners or viewers know about it. You kind of have to have a programming background to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I've never actually seen closure. Uh, the only form of Lisp I've ever like even uh, really interacted with more than just like glancing at some code is uh, Scheme, and that's because yeah. I wrote a an extension for GIMP. Uh, okay. And GIMP extensions are written in Scheme. Okay, I didn't know that, but I'm not yeah. surprised because there's a number of. Uh, programs that have some sort, some form of Lisp as their language for doing extensions. Yeah, it seems like it would be um, relatively easy to create uh, an interpreter for it. Yeah. Uh, oh, it is. I mean, I'm usually. not. I'm not saying like it's. It would be easy. I'm saying. I'm. I mean, it would be relatively easy compared yeah. to like creating an interpreter for say like PHP, which would yeah. be monumentally yeah. difficult. <laughs> Uh, yeah. 
So, uh, should I move on to my stories? Yeah, go for it. All right. So, recently, GitLab 15 came out. Uh, GitLab is a DevOps platform. Uh, they also do code repository hosting. Uh, they're similar to GitHub. Uh, but uh, unlike GitHub, GitLab is actually open source, which is interesting because uh, GitHub is where a ton of open source projects are hosted, but it itself is not open source. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, for a big notable project that I'm sure both of you have heard about, GNOME is managed on GitLab. So wow. GNOME does all their project on, uh, on GitLab. Uh, so GitLab 15 came out with... Uh, one of the really cool things they added is container scanning in all tiers. So uh, basically what that means is even if you're on the free tier and your, your project is, you know, you're not paying to host your project there, uh, you can still implement this, uh, this container scanning feature, which will go through all of your project looking for containers that you use to run your code and scan those containers for vulnerabilities and tell you about those vulnerabilities. That's a really cool feature. Another neat feature they introduced is internal notes to discuss a public ticket privately in an organization. So basically, if you have an organization where someone has uh, created a public ticket uh, and you would like to, to, uh, you would like to discuss that ticket privately with, say, a customer or, say, uh, inside your team, you can use these internal notes to to discuss that thing privately. Something that I, I think would be uh, really cool on GitHub. Uh, I don't know if GitHub actually implements that already, but I'd love to see it. My next story is Alpine Linux 3.16 came out. Alpine Linux is a super tiny Linux distro that's based on MuscleLibc and BusyBox. Uh, MuscleLibc is a, an implementation of the standard C library that's uh, quite a bit smaller than glibc, which is the standard one that most Linux distros use. So using uh, MuscleLibc and BusyBox, Alpine Linux is essentially a Linux distro that is incredibly small. And a lot of people use that in things like containerized applications. Things like Docker containers will often run Alpine Linux on the inside of the container so that it's a very small package. You don't have to download an entire uh, like Ubuntu distribution, for example. How, how small is very small? I think all of Alpine Linux is like, uh, I could be wrong, but I think it's like under a hundred megabytes. Wow. So it's incredibly small. Yeah. Uh, some of the updated software in this version are, uh, it includes Go 1.18, GNOME 42, PHP 8.1, Node.js 18.2, Python 3.10, uh, and a lot more. 
but I'm not going to go in through all of them. Uh, and some notable things that were removed, PHP 7 and Python 2 were removed in Alpine Linux 3.16. So if you rely on those, don't, don't upgrade. They're removed because they've been updated, right? Yeah. The old uh, PHP, PHP 8.1 replaced PHP 7 and Python 3.10 replaced Python 2. Uh, for my next story, TypeScript 4.7 was officially released. Uh, this is a, an update from a story that I talked about a little while ago. Uh, TypeScript 4.7 beta came out a few weeks ago. This is the full release of TypeScript 4.7. Uh, and one thing that's different between the beta and this release, which might catch you if you're, if you're a TypeScript developer is uh, TypeScript 4.7 now requires Node 16 uh, for ECMAScript modules uh, instead of Node 12. So if you're using TypeScript 4.7's new ECMAScript modules, you have to be on Node 16 or higher. I think that's my understanding. I hope I'm not wrong. If I am wrong, let me know in the comments. Uh, but the big, the big feature that everyone's excited about is support for ECMAScript modules. TypeScript can now output ECMAScript modules and it can understand ECMAScript modules. I mean, it could before, but now it can output ECMAScript modules. Uh, so if you'll remember back a few months ago, I was talking about uh, JavaScript getting a new update uh, back in, I think it was like 2014 or somewhere around there uh, that introduced, it was called ECMAScript 6, basically JavaScript 6, that introduced a new concept called modules, which is similar to something Node.js had already been doing. Uh, and it allows you to package code a lot easier and be able to use it from another place in your uh or to to export it for use for uh with other people's code or to to use it in your own code somewhere else uh so yeah typescript 4.7 big excite about that <laughs> and that's all for me this week so let's uh head over to dave <clears throat> yeah mine's gonna be pretty quick this week uh mostly because it's early days for the thing that i'm talking about and we don't really know what it's going to be, but let me tell you, on all the mailing lists and on Slashdot and everywhere, everybody got an opinion, that's for sure. So it looks like <clears throat> via SystemD, there's going to be some way in which it mostly enterprise CPUs will allow you to unlock features that are pieces of hardware in the CPU. So people are like calling this CPU as a service in some of their more uh, derogatory uh, posts about it. Um, so, uh, if I was going to steel man this or say like a good a thing that could be good about it, right. Instead of like complaining about you buying this CPU that then you have to pay them some more money to give you the rest of the CPU you bought. Let's say you don't have a lot of money and you want to start a data center. And so you buy, you know, I don't know, whatever, a, a Xeon CPUs for 200 bucks each. And then as your business starts to make money, you can unlock more cores, maybe, Maybe virtualization is a feature you can unlock later so that you can run a bunch of VMs on the on the CPU. And 
that's the steel man of it. But the, the deal is that you'd be buying a piece of hardware that you can't use all of the features of because the software is going to limit you and you would have to <clears throat> send Intel more money to unlock more of the features, possibly as a subscription service, which sounds terrible. Um, it sounds terrible. quite terrible. I It's early days on this. I think they may, there's some chance they're going to walk this back um, because people are angry. As, as they might be, but if things go as they're looking as as it's as it looks like they may go, that you're going to see this mm. in the you're going to see this in fall releases of uh, Ubuntu and Fedora, like in the like in the Ubuntu it'll be like the what twenty two ten or something is likely to have include this new version of System D, and it's not going to matter for me or you or anybody who has a currently existing CPU. It's not going to like lock down. If you have eight cores, it's not going to be like, ha ha, you have six, give AMD your money or whatever. Right. It's going, it's going to enable this in the future. And so <clears throat> it just reminds me of a thing that happened in 2010 where you could, it was like a best buy exclusive where you could go to best buy and you bought a Pentium G processor and you could, buy a little unlock card for 50 bucks and it would unlock hyper threading on that processor. <laughs> and here's a, an angry article from ZDNet about it <laughs> that I found because that's when, when this came around, right? This, this hit the list. I'm like, well, this isn't really something I super understand very well. I don't, you know, I don't really, I'm not like a system D expert or anything like that, but I'm like, you know, this really reminds me of this. And so up on the screen, here's a picture of the card that they were selling exclusively at Best Buy. It was a Pentium CPU upgrade card. And it just, this story just reminded me so much of this. And everybody was so mad because like you bought this CPU, right? And it had all this, the hardware that you had paid for in it. And then, then they were like, well, actually, no, you have to buy this card to use all the stuff that's actually in this thing that you physically own. And I, I don't think that the... Linux community, the people who use Linux in the data centers are going to, they're not going to like this. First of all, I think no. that, that they're going to crack it immediately, right? You're going to have to jailbreak your processor, which is going to be a weird, like a weird thing. Is, is there already a betting pool for that? <laughs> uh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. If, if maybe we could set something like that up, cause this is something I kind of <laughs> want to keep an eye on. Cause I think this is dumb and I'm really surprised that the system D team like kind of went along with it, honestly. It doesn't seem like it's in the spirit of open source software in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and yeah. The I other thing, be surprised if someone forks System D and removes this code. Right. Other uh, people of when System D came out in the in the first place, everybody was forking it. Do you remember that? Everybody was hell mad about System yeah. D when it first came out. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, I mean, there's there could be a way in which maybe the the people who are work the System D team just doesn't want to rock the boat. They don't want to piss off Intel. And maybe they know as well as we do that somebody's going to crack this, right? That you're, somebody's going to have a solution where it's going to make it so this is um, like a useless feature, essentially, because uh, you, you patch system D in a certain way and it just completely unlocks this processor that will happen. It won't not happen. There's no, like it could get locked down. Like, Intel could lock it down, but people are so smart especially yeah. open source people and people who work at so, on something so close to the kernel as the, the init system 
people are going to crack this. But there, I don't know, like the one thing that is interesting is like it does take away a lot of the what CPUs do I buy? Because I don't know, um, like what I what I do for my day job, sometimes we would just get thousands of CPUs. Do you know how many different SKUs there were and how many different Xeon CPUs there were? Like just if you wanted six cores on your CPU, there were probably eight different six core Xeon CPUs to choose <laughs> wow. from. So when you'd go to Dell to spec your system out or whatever, then you'd end up having to be a, an expert on CPUs to make sure you're getting those bang for your buck. So I could see this being like, here's the six core Xeon. Now you get it and you, you install the things you need on it and then you pay us more for it. But it's the pay us more for it part that I think people are going to get really pissed off about. And if they do it as a subscription, people are going to get really pissed. Yeah. Rightfully so. Like this, this would basically be like if you go to McDonald's and you order just a hamburger and they're like, all right, so we'll make a hamburger fries and a drink for you. And you get to sit there and eat your hamburger while looking at your fries and your drink. <laughs> but if you want the privilege of eating your fries and drinking your drink, which you own, <laughs> we just put them in a cage. Right. Well, if you it, want it, the key to that cage. It'll cost you 25 you know, <laughs> cents for every 15 minutes you're sitting here inside the McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. And, and if, if you decide not to purchase their upgrade and eat those fries and drinks, they don't go back to to the store. They go to the fucking trash. Like yep. these are processors yep. that have this capability. And if it's not being used, it's literally just going to end up as e-waste. Right. And you know, it's, I guess I could, I could see it being a cool thing for a consumer because then the consumers just buy the cheapest one and they're like, actually, I need more power and that's cool. I just, I don't see, I don't see like Intel selling the lowest variant of it or whatever at a loss. So I think it's just going to raise the price because you're going to get this piece. You're going to get this CPU that has everything, or maybe there'll be a couple, you know, there'll be a couple different grades or different sockets or, you know, they max out at this or they start at this, but it'll, it's going to be this, this like you were saying, it's going to be this thing where you, when you are done with the CPU, there's going to be components on it that were just wasted for the entire life of the CPU, unless you end up maxing it out. And so it's just a waste. It seems like a waste and it seems like a way for them to, it seems like a way for them to rip you off. Yep. And then what yeah, about, I'm really not a fan of this. What about the aftermarket? What happens in the aftermarket? Right? Cause that's, there's a huge aftermarket for enterprise CPUs. There's companies that are on like a one year cycle in their data center and the, they recoup that money mostly by selling the CPUs out of their old, out of their old machines to like resellers, uh, people like people like me, people maybe bigger, you know, bigger organizations than me. Uh, they or people who want to upgrade their, their current servers. They only have, you know, eight core and this, the company's selling off all their 18 core. And so you go buy all the, you know, a year or two later, those are cheap, cheaper. And so you get a bunch more bang for your buck out of your old server that you don't have to replace. Now, what does this do? Like what happens in like, once you sell it to somebody else, does it drop all the way back down to like the lowest, the lowest thing, unless they have a, unless they have a, unless they purchase no, it, it again. 
Are they gonna, is it tied to your system? Are they right? Are they going to use it to basically double dip on the same part? My guess would be yes. Like if the, if it's got to be implemented in system D, it's got to be tied to your system. Like your system has to have some sort of like cryptographic key on it. Right. And if you sell the processor but not that key, oh, they won't. That they, processor is just gonna. I, I bet the key's tied to you or your organization too, right? Yeah. It's probably not tied to the, the the CPU itself. This, yeah, it seems like a way they would double dip, and it also like just seems like it would either destroy the aftermarket or the aftermarket would then be fraught with fraud, or even just people who aren't trying to rip you off. They're like, oh, this is you know the twenty four core version with this and the virtualization. Then as soon as they take it out of their server, now it's six cores, no virtualization, <laughs> all the all the cash is gone. You know what I mean? And and maybe they don't even know, right? Because they bought the server from Dell and they were used to doing it a certain way and they're not the the system administrator. So they don't know about the system D thing. And it was already, yeah. you know, they got the system from Dell maybe with the operating system already installed or like the system, the system administrators got, you know, documentation with the server and they knew what to do. And so like, it's just going to, I think they, they're either, they're either doing it to double dip or they maybe don't like the aftermarket. Yeah, like I think this is bad for so many reasons. This is just a really shitty tactic. And what if what what happens now if your server can't phone home for whatever reason, but you still need it to crunch data? Does it like what happens then? Right? You know, what if it's just a yeah. what if it's a render farm, and so you're not really it's not always you know it loses internet connection. Okay, that's great. Uh, except what if now, oh man, these are four core. What happened? Oh, my internet's down. Like, think about this. <laughs> you know, yeah, you can't play yeah. certain video games because your internet's down. Think about you need to yeah, get, you like, need to get work not done. Even, not even because of the video game, but because of like your hardware just doesn't work when the internet's down. Right. Right. Think about, think about like just, I'm just thinking of like a render farm, right? The render farm isn't, it's not a web server. It, it might not even, they might not even leave it connected to the internet because that's it's not for that, right? That's rendering a, some big project. So maybe the internet's a distraction or whatever to the, the computers. They, you know, they go offline to, to render. But then if you're offline for a week while you're rendering, you're like, wait, why is everything going slow? And then you have to reconnect the thing to the internet and it needs to tell it again that it actually has has these, these capabilities, even though it has the capability. Like, this is just fraught with problems. And I can't believe Intel's doing this because they have such a, good reputation in the data center it's the one place amd is probably going to have a very hard time overtaking intel just because of their reputation with the xeon processors for almost what 20 years now just dominating the data center and they're just if they go through with this they're going to shoot themselves in the foot and every why would why would you stay with intel in this case yeah what if they get mad at you like really what if they get mad at you <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's a company. Or what if, like, what if it is an online service or whatever, and they just discontinue like your model, right? Even though you know it's five. Yeah. Okay, the CPU is four years old. Yeah, it's not the hottest thing on the planet, but boy, it's still doing a good job of whatever it was doing over here when all the capabilities were enabled, right? But now, yeah. uh man, we're back to six core. Oh man, now we got to throw this thing away. Yeah, like they're literally just trying to make more e waste. <clears throat> it's like planned obsolescence. It's like, it's like what they do with, you know, software. They'll do this. They'll sell you the whole software package. Right. And then if you buy a different tier, you get more, 
capabilities from the software that you're not downloading the capabilities, right? It's just enabling them because it's stupid for them to send out all these different images of the software where they could just send out one and you unlock the capabilities. But I can't see this being a good model for Silicon. (laughs) Yeah. Seems like once the, once the chip is made, it's made, you know, you can't, I mean, I guess you could add more onto it if you had like a chiplet design, but certainly not like the end consumer would be doing that. Right. And, you know, some people in their arguments for this are like, well, they already are doing this when they bin the processors. You know, you'll get the, the same processor as the eight core, but you're getting the six core. And it's like, well, that's not really the same. They're binning it because the six core can't run all eight cores at the speed yeah. it's supposed to <laughs> without overheating. That's why they sell it to you as a six core because it's, yeah, gonna, yeah. it's reliable that way. They're doing that to reduce e-waste, not right. to make more. <laughs> so I'm just imagining these, you know, if this goes through, you're buying this like 48 core processor and you got 12 of them when you start. And then, and then, then, then you're like getting pop-ups. It's like, hey, this rendering could be going much faster if you, you know. I mean, I'm just oh, seeing God. <laughs> Intel pop-up ads. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that that you can't get it. The data center is not really a good place to put a pop-up because it's like, <laughs> what's it going to pop up in the terminal you're not looking at? <laughs> but, <laughs> it's going to alter your message of the day, right? <laughs> just make it no. an Intel ad. It's going to spam you. That's what it'll do. It'll just send you an email. Yeah, it'll be like, we hey, see. you want more cores? Yeah, it'll be like, we see that one of your servers is at 90%. And it's like, get out of here. Why are you Why are you seeing this about my server? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's early days, and this could, it could be a thing where there's only like two or three SKUs where this happens, and it's only like at the super high end for the data center. And if that's the case, it's not really going to impact people too much. But the problem is if they do it like that for one generation, what's to stop them from expanding the program if people yeah. let it go? And if it somehow they manage not to hack it, if the, the, the first day somebody hacks, this will be the last day of this program, by the way. <laughs> yeah. They'll be like, oh, you could buy this processor for 225 and wow, I just bought a, you know, 50, 53 core or 52 core processor for $225. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just saw this and I couldn't believe it. It just reminded me of that thing that they were trying to do to consumers where they, it was basically they were selling you an I3 that was dual core hyper thread, disabling the hyper thread, then trying to get you to give them 50 bucks when the price delta from that Pentium processor to the I3 was 30 bucks. So they were actually just stealing $20 from you. <laughs> But I bet one of those uh, $50 upgrade cards is probably a collector's item, probably worth a good deal of money if you sell it on <laughs> eBay one. now. Like if you never uh, scratched it off or whatever, I bet that's a collector's item. And if this goes through and it's a flop, it might not be the worst idea if somebody's a collector of uh, obscure PC hardware to get their hands on one of these CPUs. So do you think like a couple of Intel execs got together and they're like, hey, you know that thing we did a few years ago that everybody really hate? Let's do that again. Yeah, but instead of doing it to, to people at Best Buy, let's do it to DigitalOcean. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it to Amazon Web Services. <laughs> let's do it to big companies that can really make our lives difficult if we screw them right. over. Exactly. Seriously. Like, AMD has been making strides in the 
the server market. It's I'm really surprised that they would be trying this right now. It's it might be like anything else where they started trying to they they this might have started four or five years ago that they were thinking about doing this. Maybe. Because these things yeah. move, you know, they don't they move rather slowly. Even though it seems like the the, the pace of of new stuff coming out is fast, you know, you're you're still five years development, six years development, whatever it is for whatever, you know, whatever you're buying now to put in the data center. But yeah, I don't, I don't understand this. I think it's, well, I mean, I do understand it. They want money and it's going to be, if, yep. it's going to be a subscription service and it would just be awful. Now, if I guess the only way that this would be okay is if they give you the thing for free. With and, the CPU? Yeah. And it's just a subscription CPU. Maybe, I guess. <laughs> but then if you can, if you can, um, if you could jailbreak it, then why would <laughs> just jailbreak? I mean, I, I would imagine this would be kind of like how phones are right now, right? Like you can go and buy like a, a really cheap, like a subsidized phone, basically, that's locked to a carrier. And the way the carrier makes, or the way the the way the phone makes money when it's sold to you isn't at the point of sale of the phone. The carrier is making money by you paying for the service, and they're using that money to subsidize your phone. So, like, it could be something similar to that, where Dell actually gives you the CPUs for free because they're the one charging you the subscription service. For this is all messed up. I don't like any of it. And um, I, I don't want to talk nope. about it anymore. It makes me angry. <laughs> but uh, good good for more more good news for AMD. If this, is, if this is really going on, as long as AMD doesn't say, hey, that's a really good idea. Let's do it too. Which I would say there'd be no market incentive for them to do it because they don't dominate the data center like Intel does. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's bad. And that's my segment. I uh, went a little longer than I thought it would, but that was just because we complained about it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep uh all right shall we close out the show uh you yep. are the uh you're the readout intern <laughs> all right well thank you for joining us this week uh we do this show every week and we try to get them out early uh wednesday afternoon uh and if you're listening to this on wednesday afternoon come by our twitch channel twitch.tv slash echoplex media and check out the intellectual dollar tree Dave and I host that show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, check out all of our other shows. You can find them at echoplexmedia.com. Uh, remember to like and subscribe and turn the bell on and leave a distasteful comment. Uh, try to try to get us banned. Uh, <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we'll see you guys next week.